Hey there fellow geeks and nerds, Gareth here. Just a reminder before the show starts that we are accessible on all the usual social media haunts. Facebook, you can find us on facebook.com slash thegeeksjournal. Instagram, at thegeeksjournal. Twitter, at geeksjournaluk. The Geeks Journal is available on most podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, you get the picture. So please, feel free to share and recommend to anyone you think might enjoy it as much as I hope you are too. If the moment should take your fancy, leave a little comment or review. Apparently it helps. I have no idea how, but apparently it does. Thanks for sticking with me through all the boring spiel. And now, on with the show. Greetings and salutations, fellow geeks and nerds. Welcome back to the Geeks Journal, the rewatch podcast where old friends rewatch films from their past and see just how well or how badly they've held up across the passage, the passage of, time. of time. So, listeners, this entry we're going to be getting into the 1989 adventure flick Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. However, I cannot delve into this movie alone. I am therefore joined by the collective as always, and I'm happy to welcome Damien and Ollie, and joining us again is Lee. Gentlemen, hello! Hello! hello. Rapturous applause. Should we not rebrand the podcast to like, Old Films, Old Friends or something? <laughs> That's way too many letters and I've already done the design. Oh. <laughs> it's already been running for a year. <laughs> yeah. Two! Two years. Oh, blimey. Time. Two years! Rebrand time. Rebrand, yeah. <laughs> So, listeners, while this coup is happening in the background, <laughs> just to give some background on the movie for those people who have been under a rock for the better part of 30-odd years, directed by little-known independent movie maker Steven Spielberg and produced by George Lucas, we see uh, an art collector appeal to Harrison Ford's Indiana Jones to embark on the search for the Holy Grail, the vessel that Jesus Christ used, allegedly, to serve wine at the Last Supper. He learns that uh, another archaeologist has disappeared while searching for the precious vessel, and the missing man is his own father, Dr. Henry Jones, played by the late, great Sean Connery. And as they go, they find that the artifact is much harder to find than they expected, and its powers are too much for those impure of heart. Now, a few bits with this movie. Uh, obviously, this is the third of a trilogy. That's right, listeners, you heard me. Trilogy. Steven Spielberg was actually on record saying that like, the main reason why he actually did this movie was for two reasons. One was to fulfill a three-movie obligation that he had made with George Lucas. And the second was to atone for criticism that he received for making the previous installment in the Anna Jones and the Temple of Doom. <laughs> Which, to be fair, you, I, I get. I do. like this, this trilogy is one of those things, like, I'm going to get into the film in general in a minute, but I want to just take a couple of minutes just to talk about this franchise in general because it definitely is kind of like a ramp up like raise the lost ark is a great understated adventure movie and then you get to temple of doom which is outright insanity i mean like there is so much about that film i was like i was off sick from work a couple of weeks ago and you know, like when you you just want those comfort blanket movies, and I just thought, what? And you put Temple of Doom on? 
No, I watched them both back to back because I wanted to do that in prep for watching this. <laughs> so I watched Raiders first and I just went, I'm going to watch Temple of Doom. <laughs> and then I remembered one, just exactly how much that lounge singer annoys the fuck out of me. <laughs> Two, that like there's so much in that movie, more so in any of the other movies that they've done for this franchise. It was like the bit when like they're on the they're on the plane and they're escaping from the plane. On and then the he, dinghy. On the dinghy. And it's when it lands on the snow in the mountains and I did a Lee and I just went, dead. Yep. That's exactly <laughs> what I did when we watched it. <laughs> dead. So I think Temple of Doom was the first one I saw out of the trilogy. I think it was too for me, yeah. I don't really know why it gets a bashing. I didn't even know it really did. I've it's always really enjoyed it. I know it's... a bit bonkers though, isn't it? When, when compared to the other two. It right? is. It's quite, it's a bit it's quite dark. Yeah. It's got some quite horrific scenes in it. You know, It has a man whose heart continues to beat and the, the man doesn't die when it's removed forcibly from his ribcage by a man with nothing but his own hand and a chance. And this movie was a PG. Can we, get, can we just take a moment to kind of like, to, like, like let these sink in? My Blu-ray says 12. Yeah, but that's probably now it is, yeah. Uh, 12s were not a thing when these movies were released. This was one of the few films that caused the 12 certificate to come into being. Temple ah, of Doom was. Because it was because really? of the content. And it's, but when you're saying like PG-13, do you mean that in terms of like the, the uh, sorry, in terms of 12, is that because of the PG-13 rating in America? Because I thought that the, the the 12 rating didn't come in until sort of late 80s. It was, it was hoo-ha over Temple of Doom and Batman. Right, yeah. That's why the 12th certificate came in over here. Ah, okay. The more you know. The more you know. And so uh, a couple of other bits with this. So this was... With Last Crusade, this is actually the longest running out of the three, but two hours, seven minutes, the longest running one. I spent a bit of time actually trying to think out like when I first watched this. And honestly, I think I saw this in the cinema. I think I saw Last Crusade in the cinema. It was with my dad. Pretty sure we were in Cardiff at the time. We were visiting family and we just saw it. And yeah, it's just one of those ones that's just, it's just always stuck with me. It's just fun. The main reason why I chose it was because... You know, we are getting into the festive period at time of recording. We are ramping up, ready for ready for the holidays. And this is the 30 years ago, it made its premiere at Christmas on BBC, on BBC One. I think that may well have been the first time I watched it, thinking back. Yep. Shout out, shout out to, to Weebly.com. <laughs> Unofficial sponsor. For the gentleman that painstakingly puts that out. Not that a page. is a ledge. Actually, are you sponsoring him? Is this get, get him on. Get him on around. as a guest. Do you know what I mean? Fantastic. I love it. But yeah, not a paid sponsorship because, let's face it, it's Weebly. <laughs> but yeah, oh, it's so much fun to, to, to read through that and see some bits. I just thought, well, you know, try something different or go for like a, a, a Christmas premiere. Something that really kind of like spoke like, like way back when. I talked about this on the last episode when that was... That was the thing. You had the big blockbusters coming, Christmas premieres, and we don't really have that now. No, I think with like Sky has kind of taken over, hasn't it? It tends to get everything yes, yeah. first, or at least it used to. Now you've got mm. all your it's, it's usually streaming. on streaming now, isn't it? Yeah, so, so Disney get the big ones that they put out, and there's now Paramount as well, and Netflix do their own Christmas Christmas films, but like you two i probably did see you know last crusade when it premiered on it was probably the bbc wasn't it it was yeah yeah, yeah. and it's and it's been on every year since <laughs> 
on on ITV Two or whatever it is you watch. Yeah, <laughs> you hipster. How is ITV Two <laughs> hipster? Most people need hip replacements that watch. I don't know. I don't know. If it was like hipster, I'd have to go to like the Curzon Cinema or something to go and watch it, or the BFI. The fact that you're actually picking that out of your head means that you either have or you've thought about it. It's only because I saw the cinema <laughs> literally the other day when I was in London. When I was walking out of it, I turned around and I saw <laughs> this just in. Ollie is a closet hipster. I'd love to go and see a film at the BFI. Actually, that would be. I think that would be rather good. Yeah, Damien, what what about you? Like when when did you catch it? First of all, I'd like to apologise that I have been possessed by Christian Bale's Batman. So sorry, guys. For this. He's not wearing hockey pants. <laughs> yeah, we're jo- we're joined by Tom Waits in the studio today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, what's he building in there? Uh, <laughs> No, it would have been the same as you guys, uh, the premiere on the BBC. Back in the day, BBC and ITV would throw money and try to get the biggest film, and the BBC always used to seem to win. So it would have been then. Yeah. Growing up, you know, it's not so much these days, but when we were kids, you were put in front of the TV just and it entertained us. And by Christ, Harrison Ford has been a big part of my childhood. Mm. Almost like a surrogate father to me, so I watch anything he's in. So I was very excited to see it. Six Days, Brilliant. Seven Nights is a personal favourite of yours, then? <laughs> <laughs> he's, always wor- he's always worth a watch. That's all you can do. <laughs> you know. But it's one of those like films, you know, like we spoke when we were talking about Ghostbusters, it's just one of those films or set of films that has always kind of been there. And it's whenever Ooh, it's yeah. on, or actually it is on quite regularly, I find it's just an easy film just to kind of slip into and watch because it probably is the safest out of the three. You know, as we were saying, like Temple of Doom is quite dark and has some like horrific moments. Not saying that this one is like as subdued as as the others, but it just seems easier to kind of get on board with. I get what you mean. Yeah, it's it's always like you know I always have that that measuring stick of like like Bad Boys and 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 the Cornetto trilogy and things like that. There are ones that. There are ones that come off a bit more independent. There are ones that are more uh, go a bit more over the top and are and, and and are kind of like more. They experiment going a little bit more higher than they should do. And then there are some that just kind of fit the bill more, a bit more commercially. I think that's probably what Spielberg was probably after, wasn't he? If, as yeah. you say, if he wasn't happy with how Templar Doom panned out or how it was received, you know, perhaps he did just wanted to create something that was very like viewer friendly and you know would do well at the box offices i'm pretty sure like just before this he just well yeah just before this a year or two before this and and the movie went into production i think he just wrapped on empire of the sun okay as well so you know he was probably he's probably due something a little bit more light-hearted and adventurous well it's like directors say isn't it they do one for them one for us one for them one yeah. for us so if that's the case one for the studio one for them i thought and then one for your mate that says you are in one yeah. <laughs> 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 it's a Jay and Silent Bob reference for you listeners out there. Mm-hmm. Of which there is another one in this. Quite an egregious one. Uh, yes, quite. <laughs> Can't wait to talk about that. Mm-hmm. But do you know what? I say, yeah, let's just let's just go for it. Let's get into it. I mean the opening of this movie, like it's just so beautiful the way that it's shot, the way this is framed. You know, you've got these wonderful, like panoramic views of the of the desert. You don't know quite where at this point, but you get these 
you, you know, you get these like scouts on horseback going through this 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 desert. Couldn't do that now. <laughs> it's a different time. What do you mean? Just like it's it's dangerous, man. Shit kills you in the desert. <laughs> Take a bunch of scouts into the desert like that. Oh, I see. Yeah, things yeah, happen. Like Boy Scouts. Yeah, yeah. I, I follow you now. No, the last Boy Scout, Bruce Willis. That's what. That's what. <laughs> that's what we were talking about. Right? Yeah, there are no more. we we go into this cave and you see a very familiar fedora and leather jacket right and as a kid watching that you you know you just go it's like wait oh it's happening and then they they're excavating this this gold crucifix and then the guy in the fedora turns around and it's 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 very cleverly done as it sort of like pans down so you can see below the brim of the fedora and you go (gasps) oh Wait, that's not Harrison Ford. What the fuck? <laughs> and then you hear it. Two of the kids that are watching this, two of the two of the scouts that have snuck into this cave and seeing all this happening, this grave robbing essentially. One of them turns around and says, "Indy, what are they doing?" And that's when we get like a very surprise reveal, I think, for the time of young River Phoenix playing young Indiana Jones. At that time, I don't think that would have meant anything to me. Not to me. I, no. I I think to some viewers in general, I think with the likes of like, you know, various various bits that River Phoenix had done, and particularly like when you think about like Stand By Me and stuff like that. I mean, I was reading somewhere that um, Harrison Ford was actually one of the ones that nominated River Phoenix for the role. Oh, okay. See, I wouldn't have... Yeah. I certainly wouldn't have seen Stand By Me at that point. I don't think it was... Yeah. Have any of you seen The Mosquito Coast? Oh, with Harrison Ford? Yes. Yeah. River Phoenix was in that he played his son, yeah, and he enjoyed working with him. And I saw that. Oh, what? I don't know why it was rented. My dad, because probably because Harrison Ford was in it. Oh, he likes him, but it, not a film to show to a kid. As most, I was going to say, it's very head. left field. Like it's a very left field film choice for you, yeah, for your dad oh, as right, well. Right. But, it, but it was. I'd love to see it again. I haven't seen it for years, but mm. I saw a lot of it went over my head. But he got on so well with Harrison Ford. And he got took under, and then when River Phoenix died, it, he was grief stricken for months when mm. he died. And so, but he personally picked him because they got on so well. And he said he reminds me of me when I was his age. And it shows as well because like the, like the way that Phoenix is performing those bits, and particularly like so when the, when this is going on, we find out that they're in Utah. It's nineteen twelve. So this is Indiana Jones as a as a, as a teenager, and he decides that like like he he instantly knows even at that age like he's he's so ingrained in in, in archaeology and, and and relics and so forth he knows what this cross is it belonged to um of course uh, coronado yeah something like that and he he recognizes it and there's a there's a line that crops up a lot in this which is it's like this should be in a museum and so he decides he's going to steal the cross and he's going to bolt with it and he's going to take it to the authorities because what these people are doing are not right and even just like little mannerisms that he's got and the way that he's phrasing stuff. Like he runs out of the cave just going, everybody's lost but me. Mm-hmm. And it was very Harrison Ford, like the phrasing, the the, the, the intonations. It was very clever and, it, and it's so tragic. Uh, I, I, like, you know, like the age that River Phoenix was with, with, uh, with his passing. And he, like, he was very good. At a young age, I think like some like I, like I certainly forget that I don't watch a lot of stuff with him in, but I see kind of what he does even in this small section of this movie and the things that he's he's doing with it is very it's very good. It's very clever. I think this whole opening 
sequence well it's a bit longer than a sequence isn't it it's a it's almost a little movie in itself it's so captivating but as you say it's it's everything down from the way it's filmed the cinematography the music and i don't know it must have been the first instance of like switch and bait i've ever seen because like you were saying i was i would have been pulled in like going oh there's indiana jones what's he found yeah and like when i watched it a, a couple of weeks ago i was still like oh yeah uh, of course it's him why wouldn't it be him but then anyone just... else want to pick up on switch and bait rather than bait and switch nope. no just me oh nope, sorry no nope, okay. i was gonna let that go thought i was gonna let that go i figured there'd be one more as we go it's a... <laughs> sorry ollie continue that's all right but as, as you say just um yeah river phoenix because i they obviously spending so much time together on mosquito coast and that was a very yeah they were in very close contact in that film. I mean, they were like, it's been a long time since it were they, they were living in like a, like a hut, weren't they together as, as a family unit? They were, there was a lot of drama between the father and the son. So I can imagine that they just picked up mannerisms from each other as well. They became like this, this entity. So I'm not surprised watching it again when he kind of like, almost like wipes the blood away from his chin or moves his hair. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. You almost wish he was still around to have done solo. That would have been good. Mm. I think, yeah, that's, that's, that's a cracking point. I wanted to, I want to talk, like you mentioned about like the blood on his chin and things like that. I do want to talk about this because this is where we get into some really clever bits of storytelling and how they stage things because, you know, Harrison Ford, we learned later, like he's, Ever since he's been on camera, you know, he's he's always had like a, a scar on his chin and it was from a car accident in California. And so they decided that like in order to explain that away, they could have just left it. That could have been anything. But they chose to put in this movie that the reason it happened was because he cut his chin with the whip when he's fighting the lion, when he's getting away from them, when, the, when he's on the circus train. And it's just little details like that is just really what makes this film stand out a lot is some really nice attention to detail some could argue that george lucas has a penchant for that and does it a little bit too much in some of his films one could say that <laughs> yes but i don't think it's it's not like played for laughs though no not no. at all so no. i think it's so it's so dry all the way through i mean there are funny bits in it but it's more of a, a chuckle kind of a laugh because Henry Jones Sr. actually has some of the best lines that he does in the film and just his interaction with his son produces a lot of like comedy but quite sweet comedy as well he he definitely has the comedy chops did Connery didn't he like I, I hadn't seen other than Bond I've not really seen him in any other films but yeah you can imagine he could have played a lot of comedic roles quite well judging by this yeah I think some films he's done have been comedic without necessarily trying or <laughs> intending one could say i mean some of the outfits in some of the films yeah i was gonna say like should like like you know we're not gonna we're not gonna we're, we're never gonna watch it on this show but you know are we not like, like things like zardos nope that's uh, not no, happening no, no, no. Oh, i've seen i've that's seen the costume happening. of that the the, the mankini in boots <laughs> yeah knee-high boots, Hor- horrendous absolutely horrific i mean even highlander highlander's great highlander 2 <laughs> Is a completely different story, but I'm not going to get it. I'm going to bring. I'm going to bring us back on track because what I want to say, like, like, like during this whole chase with River Phoenix, there's a great. There were two bits that that, that got me with this. One, the animatronic snake 
that jumps out of the water. Mm. <laughs> it did make me chuckle. I know it's there for like jump scares, but like at this stage in in, in like where we are, that did just sort of make me go. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> but then it's kind of juxtaposed really, really savagely by the fact that they have River Phoenix in a box of snakes. Like, moving snakes. It's no worse than I'm a celeb. But yeah, but... Uh, all right, fair enough. Like, I'm a celeb's been going for, like, what, 10, 15 years or something like that. 22. But you think, like, 1988, if you're going to turn around to one of the biggest up-and-coming young stars in Hollywood at the time, said, dude, we're going to throw you into a box of snakes, and you just got to look scared. It's said, I don't need to act anything for that. Thank you very much. Holy crap. Like, there's... There's so much like little bits like there's another one that came to mind when I was watching this that I'll get into later, but it's just things that it really works to the to the benefit of the movie. But sometimes, like now, I think we you know we're very much in a realm of like you know half the time they just throw CG at it because like the, the the standards of the industry the way that it is now it doesn't necessarily look like it's CG. They can do that quite well, but with this film there is so much practical effects and practical stunts that again like is it's, it's almost as though this was kind of they didn't do it as much sort of past this when you kind of get into like kind of like early mid 90s that's when they start experimenting a little bit more with cg but this is like majority of this with like like with this sort of thing like it was particularly like with animals and the snakes and things like that they're not they're not graphics they're 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 live yeah the only one that really does look really clunky is the uh, is the giraffes on the top of the train scene where they just do look like like guys' arms and socks on. <laughs> but I mean, it is. I mean, was it industrial light and magic that would have been involved? Oh, it would have been. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, like, and, like if Spielberg and Lucas are in this, it would have been ILM. You know, they were kind of at the forefront of like practical effects still. And as you say, it was, but it was also kind of the tail end of practical effects, isn't it? Because as you say, we're going into the nineties now. We're we're getting in, into all those disaster movies as well that really played on it if have any of you watched the ilm documentary on disney plus yes yeah it's, it's in there it's, it's um james cameron with the abyss which was back end of the 80s that was the pseudopod that was siege and then it went from there to t2 to jurassic park and ilm have always been at the forefront of that they will take the bets and whatever works mm. that that's a bloody good watch, that documentary. Absolutely banging documentary, yeah. Highly recommend mm-hmm. that. I haven't watched it yet. It's, it's one of those ones that, like, it's always been on my list. I've just not got around to it yet. Claire wanted to watch it. it so that's, and she was engrossed in it. So wow. for someone that's not in into this culture as much as... She found it completely fascinating and engrossing. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm derailing this massively, this episode. So many tangents. The year-end ramble is what this is. <laughs> it's the year-end ramble. <laughs> I thought about doing a quiz, but I thought, you know what? No, we're going to watch Indiana Jones. <laughs> and like he he gets across from the from the from the thieves, and he and he and he runs home. He's told his mate, "Go and find the sheriff and meet me at my house." And he comes back and he goes to see his father. And granted, we don't see his father; we just hear his father, and we hear a very familiar brogue, and. Then the sheriff turns up and he says, uh, thank you, give me that, because it's actually this man's property and these gentlemen are witness to it and it's the gents. Whether they're paid off or something you don't know or if the sheriff just doesn't want the paperwork and he's just believing whatever spiel he's given. But you can tell that like this guy that's heading up, like who's wearing the fedora and stuff, there's just a very nice moment earlier on where he's just kind of seeing this kid like fend off his, his lackeys and actually have the fortitude to get away from them 
and he does have this ah oh, damn it moment but then you see this little smirk and it's just very well played where you see like there is like respect for this child yeah i i don't know if anyone but i wish they'd kept the original concept he was supposed to be abner ravenwood oh okay yeah so he's yeah, mental yeah he was supposed to be marion's dad yeah and that's the first time they met and then they changed it's now some guy called garth but, but i wish <laughs> they'd stuck the original thing <laughs> so it would have been the first meeting of abner and indy that would have made so much more sense mm. and then we get to like we get have this nice moment where you get the lover john williams score and that familiar indie theme just rises up as he puts the fedora on his head he said just because you lost doesn't mean you have to like it and that's a lesson that we see in in in, in the other indiana jones movies where he never takes no for an answer and he always goes after not only what he wants but what is right as well and so he plonks the fedora on his head and then it rises up we're in 1938 we're in the middle of a sea storm and all shit's kicking off, like all hell's breaking loose. And he's going for the crucifix again. On the highly volatile boat. Yeah, on the highly volatile boat, which I don't know if any of you actually picked up on this. The name of the boat was the Coronado. Oh, it was the name of the guy who, who 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 um owned the cross. Hmm. And then you have the the Panama guy. Man from Del Monte. Panama Jack. Yeah, the man from Del Monte. God, that dates us so much, doesn't mm, it? Yep. Yeah, he said yes. <laughs> I mean, we are all, you know, the wrong side of 35. And we're talking we're about right a film yeah. from 89 as well, which yeah. we, that we that, that, have that, seen. That, that one of us saw in the cinema. Yeah, yeah exactly. We're, so we're, we're getting up there. And which actually pays dividends to the line that they actually say now. We're just going, this belongs in a museum. And he goes, so do you. I just like, it's <laughs> so fun. I was watching that bit and just thought, like, you don't, they don't do sound stages like this anymore. Again, like, sort of, sort of harking back to what I was saying earlier about, like, half the time now it would be CG or something like that. But when you're building, like, a boat that would rock from side to side or, like, crates that have little explosives in them where eventually the, it, the, they'll just go up. It's the MGM Studios, like Disney Hollywood, the Indiana Jones thing that's there. Mm. Is, is it still there? Yeah, I saw it in yeah? Orlando, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I saw it this summer, yeah. Very good. Yeah, there's just like, like so many of these stunts that pay off, which Harrison Ford foolishly is doing himself. I was reading somewhere like like, like his stuntman actually had to beg him once and just <laughs> said like, please, can you let me do some work? Because he's just constantly always up for doing all of this stuff himself. He would have been what, mid to late 40s by this point? Yeah, and he was game for it. He was on it. I mean, lest, lest we forget, this is a man that is like, crashed how many planes now mm. well yeah <laughs> well like indy says isn't it he, he knows about flying he just oh, he like <laughs> <landing>. <laughs> yeah. but it is a character that he has molded you know there was no there were no spin-offs by this point you know we hadn't had the young adventures of... have we not no, no they came out of this because of because of right. river phoenix right yeah we didn't get he the... declined he declined to do it so sean patrick Flannery. okay yeah, right, yeah right. we didn't get the chronicles so it's like you can imagine that he would want to like fulfill all the stunts and embody the character i because i remember on a, one of the dvd extras they talk about the costume like he was given the leather jacket for the first time and i think they were by the swimming pool or something and it was just like this is wrong so he took just a pen knife out of his pocket started scratching it cutting it and rubbing it on the, like the flooring and was just like yeah, yeah this is it this is this is how my character should look it was the same with yeah. the fedora they rolled they put it on the floor and rolled around on it to get it to look right so you can believe that he would do his own stunts because because then you believe the character's real 
it's true. He, if he can do that, you believe the story. This is really like the one where you can see, I mean, look, we, we all know that famously Ford has very little time for talking about the Star Wars universe. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's, that's never been a secret. But this is the one that he will always go back to, sometimes, <laughs> to his detriment. <laughs> I think I think this is his favorite. I think it's his favorite role. I think. Yeah. All right. So good. After he like he miraculously gets away from this from this boat explosion that again you just look at and just go dead. <laughs> no escape. So all the facts of how it went up. So like all that happens is one of the smokestacks comes down, and for some reason that's enough to cause an explosion, like a big fireball. Well, there are explosions on that cr- Like there are explosives in those crates. Ah, uh, I missed that. I missed that particular detail. So, so, uh, so when that, so when the sparks and all that did hit the crates and it get, and it went through the crate, that like that's what sent it all up. Uh, okay. But again, we don't know where he is. He's in the middle of the sea. Like he's in some ocean somewhere. No escape boats. How did he get back? But I think that's it. But I wanted that. By the time you get to the third film, I think you can believe anything that happens to him. I mean, and- I'm still <laughs> his his body. He must be like a wanted man in like. <laughs> around the globe because the amount of like people he's killed with zero repercussions across the three films right like how actually i was reading somewhere that like there are the body the body count of this movie was apparently 50 people which i swear is bullshit i said there's so many more people that died but only (laughs) about 13 of those were were that india is responsible for When you think about it, he doesn't kill that many people. No. Everything else is that, like, like it's either the Guardians of the Grail, it's the Nazis, weird Grail booby traps from the Knights who say knee. He kills a lot of... All right, okay, granted, he kills a lot of, lot of German soldiers in this one, but he kills quite a lot of people in the previous one, like, in, in the previous two, sorry. Oh, yeah, in the previous two, absolutely, He's but in this one, yeah, he doesn't rival, kill very... His, his body count rivals Rambo. I thought you were going to say it's so rivals Charlie Sheen in Hot Shots Part <laughs> well, Two. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie Sheen's own head. <laughs> <laughs> so, as we see in the in the university, and he always ends up back at the university. Like, like, like Raiders and Last Crusade are quite parallel to a to a degree, aren't they? Yeah, this reclamation of an artifact, and then he jumps to the university where he's giving some lecture. And then he goes off on his adventure. But what I thought was quite funny this time around is that we also see the fact that like he's clearly been away for a while because he goes in and his office is just chaos. His secretary has like a crap load of messages. He's still got like midterms that need marking. He's got 50 students at his door begging for his attention and his assistance and stuff. And he goes to his office and says, form an orderly queue, make a list, da-da-da-da-da. And he sits there for about five minutes and goes, bang, I'm out. And he jumps out the window. But not before he finds a parcel on his desk marked from Venice. Immediately dismisses it. Doesn't do anything with it. He goes, meh. Pockets it. Yeah. Yeah. And he leaves the university and he gets picked up by a load of heavies, right? Yeah. Two guys step out of a car and just, don't they just say like, uh, Dr. Jones, would you like, w- will you come with us? Or would you like yeah. to come with us? And you're like, uh, no. Yeah. It's the fact that one guy like edges around behind him and he's like, oh yeah, clearly these guys mean business. Yeah. yeah. And that's where we see, uh, Admiral Peart? No, General Veers. No, General Veers. General Veers, thank or you. Or Grand Maester, is it Pysel? Pysel. Yeah. Yeah. Played by British actor Julian Glover. And, I mean, okay, once you know, you know, but I think he actually does a reasonable job of not being overly obvious at this stage. Hmm. As to his He's very suave, isn't he? Yes. Yeah, he comes off as like a fair chunk of money and just wants to 
he he wants that exploration. He wants that notoriety of finding these things. This will make you buggers go back and rewatch this as well. When he's introduced, when he walks into the room to see Indy, you can hear a piano in the background. If you crank your sound up, it's playing the Imperial March. What? <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, I read it a while ago. And I went, Next time I watch it, I mean, you said we would do it right. And you can hear the first few notes of the Imperial March playing. Ha, brilliant. And then when his, <laughs> when his wife comes in, <laughs> that's his actual real-life wife as well. He said, oh, can she oh, be really? in it? Oh, really? Yeah. She, like, nods at no one in particular when she shuts the door. That was one thing I took I that. noticed that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's almost like she was saying hello to Indiana yeah. and He's that he would then, like, tip her. his cap or something like that. He's not looking at her. He's reading the tablet. So I went, you dizzy bitch. Why would you... Why would you acknowledge a man? This guy's back yeah. to you. First of all, I would say, how dare you turn around to me in my own house? Fuck nut. But like the fact that she just... What, what that scene needed really was like when she opens a door, there needs to be like loads of like red swastika flags and like, you know, a bunch of like SS. And she's like, she's like hurriedly shuts the door or something. That so it looked like a sketch from like Family Guy then, wouldn't it? It's, very, like, it's a very naked like. gun mentality, yeah, yeah. isn't it? It's very... Yeah, naked gun, definitely. <laughs> So Julian Glover, actually, sorry, plays a character called uh, Walter Donovan. Donovan is explaining to Dr. Jones about this legend of these three knights, these brothers who went out into the desert after they walked for so long, they found this place and they found the Holy Grail, the cup of Christ. And Harrison Ford, as, as you know, Indiana Jones has heard this story a million times, his father studied it for for years decades this obsession that you have with trying to find the holy grail and they have this tablet that they found that they've excavated but it's not whole and so they've got to try and work out where they can actually find what is known as the second marker because two of the brothers left they had documented their life looking for and finding the grail and therefore how they actually guarded it there there on so we find out during this that that's when turns out that Henry Jones, Indiana's father, is the, the project leader that has gone missing. Donovan says, we need your help. Our man's disappeared. And he said, ah, you're talking, to, you're talking to the wrong Jones. Go and speak to my father. He's like, well, actually, he's the dude that's disappeared. So he doesn't believe him, and he goes to see his dad. He goes to his house, and it's just turned upside down. And that's when he realizes Donovan said that they were in Venice. He's had a parcel from Venice, opens it up, and it's his journal. It's his, like, it's his, it's his Grail diary. His grail diary, sorry, with all of his findings and, and diagrams and everything that he's learned over the last, like, 30-odd years. So he decides that he's going to go to Venice, and that's when Marcus, of all people, played by Denham Elliott, says that he's going to go too, because he's actually very old friends with Henry as well, and he wants to help and, and find him and make sure he's okay. And this, like, this movie actually goes along at a fair pace, actually, for, like, for, like, from what I recall. And they get to Venice, and they crack some joke about it because they're meeting some Dr. Schneider. That's all they have. They don't have a first name, they just have Dr. Schneider. They get off the river taxi, and you hear this woman's voice, and she says that her name is Dr. Elsa Schneider. And that's when shit goes down. Like, like some Marvin Gaye goes off in Indy's head, and he is... He's on it. He's pulling out all the tricks he knows. He's stealing flowers from vendors, and... I just like, like this is I watched this with my wife and even she was just going oh this is just too much. There are a couple of like proper cheesy lines there. I was just mm, trying yeah. to think what they yeah. what they were but they are uh, watching it back it was like oh that's really cringy. 
It is very cringy. Like the bit, like is he because he says like, "Would you permit me?" And he puts a and he puts a flower, pins a flower to a jacket, and she says, "Oh yeah, but yeah, I like I never wear flowers because tomorrow that like because by tomorrow it will be dead." And he said, "Well, I'll steal you another one." It's like, what is happening right now? <laughs> I just love the Brody's expression when, when yeah. he's stealing the flower and then he just had to hang on, come on, yeah. <laughs> priorities. <laughs> Yeah, I just had the moment. It's like your father's missing. Like, can we get a, a a bit of perspective here? Elsa says, "Let it go," and they go into. <laughs> That's it. We're done. <laughs> Ollie, Ollie is looking confused for the benefit of the listener here. Damien's looking at me, just got black it out. He did not get the <laughs> reference. Fade it out. Done. Oh, sorry, I was <clears throat> I was reading something. That was all. Oh, are we boring you? Sorry. <laughs> Obvious, obviously. <clears throat> no, it was just it was just interesting. Like I was just reading that she was she was only twenty two when she took the role of that of that film. <laughs> but it was also like the age gaps that you, you see within the film is that Sean Connery is actually only fifteen years older than Harrison uh, Ford. Yeah, I did I did read that. But it's before. it's just the way it's played and the way it's written. The, the dialogue between them, the relationship is so believable that he is so much older and has yeah. so much, like, I was going to say life experience. He was James Bond, for Christ's sake. Well, and that's the other thing. Like, it's really interesting that he plays against type, doesn't he? Because mm. we've seen him, and beyond um, The Last Crusade, he he kind of went back to playing, not spies as such, but even in Entrapment, he was a, a, a was he a master thief of some sort? Yep. Yeah, so he played all those kind of like spy characters. And SAS, lest we forget The Rock. Mm. Oh, yes. I was going to say The Rock. Although isn't there isn't like the fan theory that that is like an aged, aged out, retired Bond? We we talked about this on the show. Yeah, we did cover it, mm. yeah. I missed that particular episode. We talked yeah. about this on the show and I was, I was, I, I was, I was kiboshed quite, quite savagely. Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> if I'd been there, mate, I'd have backed you up. Well, because 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 Bond was Bond was uh, Navy. He was he was not SAS. Good point. He was he was a commander in the in the British Navy. Fair. But that could have been a cover. Anyway, I'm not going to story. Yeah, he's not even called James Bond. So, <laughs> absolutely. Well, let's. No, I'm not going to get into that. That's a that's a that's a that's a that's a whole headache. Is of it the, like the Jim, Jimmy I'm not going to get into or something. <laughs> My name's Jimmy Bonowitz. <laughs> Bonowitz, Jimmy Bonowitz. That's the only thing that got me about about the Dino Crow. Do you know what? Fuck it, it's Christmas. I'm going to get into it. If we go over, I'll split this episode in two. But like, what gets me? What gets me with with like, like with the Daniel Craig Bonds as brilliant as they are is that what fucked it up is that it turns out that his name was actually James Bond. Not a code like, name. Are yeah. you joking? Yeah, not a code. You could have got away with that. Like for decades, mm. we've been getting away with that. But the fact that he's actually called James Bond, I went, I'm out. I'm done. I mean. By by rights, then everyone has to introduce themselves like surname, first name, surname. Yep, that is the rule, isn't it? <laughs> Russ, Lee Russ <laughs> doesn't really work because a lot of people call me Russ Lee. So, are you are you saying you always perceived that James Bond was just a code name? Yeah. Yes. Oh, I... why? The, why does he live for like you know? Why has he been around since the sixties up until modern day? And like you know, multiple different people. Why in Goldeneye does the Bond that is talking to M talk about her talk about her predecessor having drinks in that cabinet? Even in On a Majesty's Secret Service, George Lazenby makes reference. Granted, it's a fourth wall break to the crowd, but even George Lazenby makes a reference to saying this never used to happen to the other guy, which gives the impression it's different thing. However, well, 
Actually, no, I'm going to dial back on that a little bit, actually, because I've been re-watching them lately, and whilst not aging that particularly well, there is reference to, in the Roger Moores, to his wife, which is from the George Lazenby movie. So those eras do tie in, but they're also in reasonably close proximity to each other. And let's face it, Roger Moore was aging for everyone at that point. Yeah. Multiverse. But then <laughs> yeah. also, he's he's the worst spy in the world because he goes around and announces who the fuck he is every time. He, he, his code name, he announces to everyone. So like, surely by that point, that name is on some sort of register in every airport, in every city, Quite. in every country. Yeah, right? that's kind of the point of his Quite. bravado, isn't it? And his arrogance. That he mm. wants he wants them to know that he's there and he's watching them. It's not a very good spy, though, is it? I have said. Do you know what? I have said this way off topic, yeah. and I, I I don't regret it, but I'm going to get us back on track. You need a jingle for tangents. So, <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I've got to, I've got jingle ideas for the new year. But so when they're walking through Venice, Elsa talks to Indy and says, like, his father was working in this in this library. Um, to try and work something out about these clues that he had found to do with the Grail. And they were in this library, and there was so much I took away from this one area of this library because I was watching this. I just went because there's a bit, because the, like right at the start in, the, in his lecture, he says, as, as archaeologists, we are concerned about facts. There is no treasure map to a secret location, and X never, ever marks the spot. <laughs> and he notices these Roman numerals, and the final one is 10, which, listeners, for those of you that don't know, the Roman numeral for 10 is an X. So he's walking around and he finds it and there's a giant X on the floor of this library because he works out that Henry wasn't looking for clues. He was looking for the actual entrance to the tomb. While Harrison Ford is on this balcony, that is not a real bookcase at all because if you look at it it's like it now, well now, now ollie lee like for, like like from when you came to see my play that i directed if you know like we had that bookcase on the side mm. literally i could not take my eyes off that shot in the film because it just made me go that looks like the same fucking bookcase mm. it's, it's just the spines of books so the, the thing right so i don't get this right so he's going was it like three seven ten or whatever the numbers are and it's like Two of them are on the... It's either the pillars, pillars or the... either side of the stained glass window, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but then it's like... They're kind of irrelevant because you only need the 10. So what's... But they were trying to find the number 10. I guess it's the proximity, yeah. isn't it? Because you have them on the pillars, you have them in mm. panes of the stained glass. So... If that were an it, escape it, room puzzle, I'd be like, nah, nah, that's not... You're not leading me to the solution there. You're ob- obfuscating it way too much. Well, I'm still not 100% sure as to what are the re- what is the significance to the 3, 7, and 10. Yeah, there isn't. That's that's my point. Like It's kind of... An, and they're, they're sort of not... Con- I mean, they're, they're in proximity, like you say, but they're not connected. I'd be looking for another pillar with an X on it. Mm. I wouldn't be looking on the floor. You know, there's nothing indicating to go up the spiral staircase to look down on that thing. It's, it's a bit of a leap of logic, but then that's just the puzzle solver in me, so... I'm just, I, I, I'm just saying, Ben Gates in National Treasure would have had that shit down. <laughs> I'm just saying. So they they find... <laughs> it's to do with the amount of rainfall and the precipitation and humidity <laughs> level in here, which means we need to go up. What? <laughs> <laughs> I'm more of a grail protector. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so we have this, like, this really funny comic moment Within, when they realise that where the X is, so that's they think that that's going to be the entrance to the to the tomb, right? 
so he's going to break into this floor of this ancient church building with a brilliant little comedy bit with the with the library stamp so in addition to uh, multiple homicides can we also add criminal damage to vandalism in these in these uh, criminal <laughs> yeah. record here please N- noted <laughs> <laughs> i do like the bit with the with the library stamp that I is funny that's always yeah. been quite funny like the reaction of the guy stamping the books comedy gold very good and when they get into the when they get into the catacombs can we just just set aside for a moment that I did do some reading up on this because I wasn't sure. There are no catacombs in Venice of that nature. There's no aqueducts or anything like that. Nothing hospitable. It'd be flooded because they're all... Venice is sinking anyway. There's no catacombs. Yeah. But also, I'm pretty sure there are multiple cases of animal cruelty here, sadly, where I'm pretty sure some of those rats get trodden on for real. And then do we want to talk about the insane, lackadaisical adherence to health and safety where he where he finally discovers oh this is this is like was he say like petroleum bubbling up through he's like hand me hand me that yeah. lighter and a rag <laughs> I literally wrote down literally in my notes I went I mean it's a river of petrol sure why not light a Zippo yeah. give me a lighter I can't see <laughs> what the fuck yeah it's like, it's like Venice is now a crater. <laughs> <laughs> So I did read like 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 the other thing that I actually wrote for that was so many rats in capital letters, and I, I did do some some reading up on this because like ordinary rats that they could have got their hands on basically would have been riddled with disease. These rats were bred specifically; they bred two thousand rats mm. for the purpose of this movie. That's a lot of rats fucking to get the number that you need. That's a wildly specific amount. <laughs> Is that where your head went? Jesus, man. <laughs> You've seen Bad Boys too. You know how that shit goes down. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it, like the, the sheer volume of these rats just hmm. baffled me. It was, it was very uncomfortable. It was very impressive, but it was very uncomfortable. Particularly when you see in a little while when they're hiding in the coffin... That again, much the same as with River Phoenix with the snakes, they're basically pouring rats on top of these people. Like Elsa Schneider, also, sorry, I didn't address this earlier. Like I watched this and went, ah, the 80s. German doctor being played by an Irish actress. <laughs> like she's literally having like rats just poured over her. That is like that is some I'm a celebrity bullshit. But then it's the same with the other two films. You have snakes in Raiders, the spiders in Raiders as well. That that bit, I was like, oh, nope, snakes and, in, and rats and don't in, bother t- me. In, in but... Temple of Doom, you you have the spiders, you have the like the centipede and all the other cockroach things. Doom, yeah. Where they where the spikes are coming down, and it has to reach through. It's the same. In, it's the same across all three three films. Mm. You know, they keep that trope up, and I I don't know. I think that realism is something that I really enjoy about the films. It's this. I agree. It's, it's, it's the absolutely. It's the, it's the scare factor as well. I think it's just something that yeah. really could not be replicated with CG. A, a mass of like snakes and a mass of rats, it just wouldn't look right. You would not be able to get the... I, I don't care who you are. I don't think you'd be able to get the lighting right on it. You would not be able to get the textures right on it. It would be... <laughs> Tell that to ILM, yeah. mate. Uh, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I, I, I would throw... I would, Throw down the challenge to see if they could replicate. Do you that. hear that ILM? You know, Ollie, Ollie says you ain't shit. I know, Lucas, you're listening. Spielberg, <laughs> when you do the fourth film, fans of the show, ILM, fifth film. 
<laughs> fifth film, Ollie. Yeah, I, I know. But... <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, the fourth. Film. I see what you're saying there. <laughs> but I just don't. I just don't think if they tried doing CG at that time, it would have really fallen, and it would have. Mm broken the yeah. film it would have really taken you out of it I, I would have hate to have seen the mess that it would have been but it just adds such a a weight to the film by having these heavy practical effects the realism oh, it makes such a difference yeah because it's heart stopping it may- that's what you want like yeah. when the rat climbs up her hair or it looks like it's pulling on her ear or, mm. or something you know you're you're under the coffin or sarcophagus, whatever you want to call it. Sure, yeah. Um, the stone yeah. thing that floats. Let's yeah, just the, remember that. The foam stone. <laughs> but if the actor believes it, you believe it more, right? Is that, exactly. is that what you're sort of getting for, yeah. right? And I think that's done so incredibly well across the three films here. And they've kept that trope up. And yeah, okay, looking back on it, like all the rats that were either like crushed or burnt alive goodness knows what because that practical effect is also incredible yes oh that the pyrotechnics in this movie are brilliant and no more so than this one that is just happening which is where we have these strange men in pinstripe suits and fezzes inconspicuous inconspicuous funky mustaches nothing serious going on here it's fine (laughs) they're off to the blue oyster (laughs) (laughs) a lot of Wayne's <laughs> references this time round. Blue Oyster was Police Academy. Oh. <laughs> so good. What's the name of the club? The Gasworks. Oh, the Gasworks. Gasworks, yeah. And they they find Indy's route and then they they light a single match, which is, again, it's a miracle that Indy hasn't sent the whole place up anyway mm. because they just light a single match and throw it down and it's just a backdraft through these catacombs. And so Indy, with Hulk-like strength, throws over this sarcophagus so it creates an air pocket in petroleum lest we forget that in that sort of enclosed space they would have seen way more scary shit than a load of rats being poured over them like it's like it's oh god crazy absolutely they're essentially making a cylinder head out of an engine by doing that (laughs) so yeah you know how an engine works right (laughs) Did anyone else notice that when they escape, again, not that we actually find out how Indy escapes. I mean, Ollie, this like this feeds into what you were saying earlier. We don't like like nobody nobody gives a shit about how the sausage gets made in this movie. <laughs> they just like they just see this like ah, I know a way out. Let's go. And then next thing you know, he and Elsa are climbing through a manhole cover outside the library. But did anyone else notice that their clothes were dry? Yes, I did spot that. They were warmed dry. through by the fire. It was fine. But also, why is there no smoke <laughs> or any other fire from that coming from that manhole cover or from the library where this yeah. supposedly all took place beneath? <laughs> Incidentally, I've been in that very square in Venice, which is quite I think cool. I have mm. as well. Yeah, it's quite a famous one. So it's, you, you probably have beautiful, beautiful little. little but that's out. the thing with this film and the films of its ilk and the films of the time. It's just going along with the adventure it's the same as the goonies isn't yeah. it don't, don't sweat the small stuff essentially isn't yeah, it? yeah it's, it's just it. absolutely it's just let let the film just take you and enjoy it and just let it just barrel along at whatever pace it wants and you are taken by this film because what how long's gone in the film how what time 
like fucking virtually nothing. Yeah, and and we've we've gone like, across like maybe like twenty maybe maybe like twenty five minutes. Yeah, and we've gone across an, an ocean and a number of timelines here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in that space it's, of time. It's, it, it bounces around. I mean, even now, as they're escaping these guys in these pinstripe suits, that now we have a boat chase, which, again, for the time that they were making this and the way that it is, is mental. It is so good. And I read somewhere that, like, like basically, Venice just said, yeah, we'll close the rivers for you for, like, four hours and do what you want. Hmm. And they just gave him carte blanche. And it's just, it's great. Like, like it's a brilliant chase. I'm not going to get too far into it because, you know, it's a, it's a visual medium. I'm not going to, I'm not going to break that down. So like, like bit by bit, but yeah, as, as, as practical effects go, they're really fun. There's some cool pyrotechnics. Yep. Uh, another explosive boat. <laughs> Death traps. As they, as, as they get the, that pincer movement, as they get trapped between the two, the, the two massive boats. <laughs> but that's when you find out that these guys are not bad guys. They're actually protectors of the of the root of the grail. They don't want it to fall into the wrong hands. Like Brothers of the Cruciform Sword. Thank you. Like Indy Indy doesn't believe in this. He's just looking for his father. Speaking to the Brotherhood of the Cruciform Sword, what I love about these films and films set like in my own head canon, at the same time, somewhere out in Egypt, Ardeth Bay and the Magi are watching Brendan Fraser (laughs) (laughs) and the Red Skull is somewhere else as well <laughs> at the same time, doing all the same stuff. In my head, they're all connected. <laughs> <laughs> the wonderful world of Damien's multiverse. <laughs> I, I, I mean, and Hellboy's about to break into the Earth in a few years from uh, from this point as well, you know. So can you, oh, can you imagine that? That's where the artefacts are that the, the, that the Institute have. Like, Indy's, in, Indy's firing him out for Hellboy. <laughs> That's when you find out that, like, they're protecting the grail they have an idea of where henry jones is and he helps indy to to go you say go to this castle he's there they go back to their apartment so when you find out that like marcus is mysteriously okay he's not focusing on the fact about like never mind the concussion i have right now <laughs> but yeah let's go back to the apartment everything's fine and he's talking with marcus and they're going through the journal and indy goes into his room and everything's trashed and then he goes into elsa's room and everything's trashed. While she's listening to a 45 over the bath, and then he calls her out and he sees it. Ah, this, this, is a, this is a quirk of indie that I've never quite... Well, like, indie, Bond, I get why they do it. It is a trope that I see in these movies, but occasionally I just go, really? Because she says, what were they looking for? And he's like, they're looking for this. And that's when he said, wait, you had the diary the entire time and you didn't tell me? Go, I didn't know I could trust you. It's been like four hours. You think you can trust her now? What is happening? He's been trying to get in her pants for the last three and a half hours. <laughs> well, that brings on to this. That's how he can measure if he can trust her, clearly. Yeah. yeah. That's where we come into this very uncomfortable scene now where he, where he says, I'm going to do things my way and plants one on her. And then she pushes him back and just says, how dare you kiss me? And it's this weird back and forth thing between them. Again, I'm just going to highlight, I was nine when I watched this movie. <laughs> just like bite his ear and stuff and weird things. <laughs> Biting his ear? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. For a nine-year-old, mental. Crazy. Um, and this when, like, the, like, the quote that comes up, like, there's always a quote that's in my mind with this movie, and it's just Harrison Ford going, 
Ah, Venice. And he says it like three <laughs> times in this movie. But it's as, as the camera pans out the window as well, isn't it? Oh, yes. Yeah. It's yeah. such a clever, like, like it's, it, it, it's, it's filmed its stage so cleverly. It's really fun. And so they, they get down and it cuts off to the castle that they've been told about where Henry's going to be. And this is where things, you know, do start to ramp up in terms of story because that's when they break in. Because and I know this is the whole point, but I did watch this and go, holy shit, that's an a horrendous Scottish accent. Like, I know that's the point, but I'm pretty sure at one point he sounded German. You know, so we've come to see the tapestries. It was as bad as that. As bad as that. Yeah, well, I'm doing it verbatim. How how Harrison Ford would do it. He's with us tonight. But he just sounded German. So I've gone and caught a sniffle. So what the hell is happening? And he finds Henry. Well, actually, before he finds Henry, he has this moment where, like, like they they delve deeper into the castle, and he's looking through the thing. And this is when you 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 see Nazis hiding in secret bits of the mansion. It's just where he goes, Nazis. I hate these guys. Hot take from Doctor Jones there. <laughs> just in case you're not keeping score, Nazis bad. Isn't it meant to be more of an in-joke about the first film, though, rather than anything mm. else, though? I don't think it's necessarily yes, social yeah. commentary at this point. <laughs> and he finds his father's room. He knows where he's being kept, and he finds him. He can't see him, but that's when he gets hit over the head with something. He gets hit over the head with a vase. And again, you hear that familiar lilt of, Junior? <laughs> Mr. Sh- Sir Sean Connery. I, said, I almost said Mr. That would have been tragic. Sir Sean Connery. Well, in front of the camera. And I've always been a fan of their chemistry in this movie. Mm. I think it's like, like I think I like any kind of foibles or anything like that with the movie. Like bottom line, their chemistry drives this film definitely, and it's just great to watch. There's a there's a wonderful rapport. There's a lot of back and forth. It's just really good fun. I, I did read that um, another screenwriter was brought in to develop their relationship. Tom Stoppard. Tom Stoppard, not not a not a screenwriter. Tom Stoppard is a very famous playwright. Um, and yeah, he was he he did. Uh, I I read that too. How they brought in. He wasn't credited right. either. Like like he he did some work, but Spielberg always sort of like unofficially credited him, but he's not listed in the credits. The film is all the better, I think, for for Connery and Ford's like chemistry. Definitely, their on screen yeah. chemistry is just brilliant. I I could watch that all day. Just how well they play it. I mean, it's just like the the back and forth they have when the soldiers come in. I mean, first we have so we have these wonderful exchanges where he hits him over the head with a Ming vase, and he said, "Breaks my heart. I'll never forgive myself." He goes, "Oh, it's okay. I'm fine." And he goes, "Oh, thank God. <laughs> it's a fake." It's just little little lines like that that really work. And just when he said, "I thought you were one of them," he said, "Usually they come through the door." <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I think that's what's nice about the character, isn't it? Because he is just the the stereotype bookworm, yeah. If you if you will, it, especially as you've known him playing James Bond, and now he's playing off against Harrison Ford, who has just entered the room via the window mm-hmm. as well. <laughs> yeah, nice and subtly, like entered the room. Yeah, they'll never know he's there. We get to the like a bit of a twist now because that's when like they break out after the immortal line of, don't call me Junior, because he always refers to him as Junior. We don't know why at this stage, but he always refers to him as Junior. 
He kills a bunch of Nazi soldiers in a rage and says, don't call me Junior, and they storm out. If we miss the uh, physical comedy of just, like, where they're tied together on the chairs and they like the reveal that... That's is coming. That coming. Is that not yet? Oh, okay. That's coming. That's coming because here we get the big reveal where there's a, a Nazi general called Vogel who's got a gun on Elsa. That's it. Saying that if he doesn't hand over the gun and hand over the diary, he's going to kill her. At which point, Henry's just there going, yeah, you won't do it. She's one of them. Indy's just not believing this. Like, like, like Indy, like, Indy's got this bad. This is like, like, again, a trope that just winds me up with him. And it's more present in this movie is that like he's all about that V in this movie, like, like in this movie, because like he get like like he like, like he fell for it bad and he just cannot get out of it because like all of a sudden, like they have one little thing after meeting after four hours and then he's going to believe her over. His dad? Mm. Does that make sense? Like, it's like I know that like, like there's 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 sort of relationship repairs that are done later in the movie that we that we don't get take into account just yet. But like he like he pays for it like badly because he chooses the side and he is wrong tragically because it turns out that Elsa is all about that swastika life and she takes the diary and then the dad and the son are then tied up which is lee is what you were getting to where they're tied up after being having the benefactor revealed of this little excursion with the nazis and it turned out to be dun 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 mr walter donovan the man who hired indy in the first place because one of the last things he said before they got on the plane to leave for venice is don't trust anybody and it's one of those things that, like, 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 when you know it now, like, then you know it, and there's no turning back from it. But, like, watching it as a kid, I remember watching it just go, wait, what's happening? But it, I think it still holds up, though. I mean, the conviction in which he plays the character, Absolutely. he has such, like, fun with the character. I mean, they they all have fun with the characters that they are playing. But, you know, he he plays villains very well. Although it's 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 even better in that I don't think he sees himself as a as a villain, mm. does he? He he's not no. he's not affiliated with the Nazi Party. He's just using them as a means to an end, like everyone else. He's he's just using everything else he owns. He's just using to, to get to the Grail, to get to immortality. And and he just and I think that's the clever writing in his character. Yes, absolutely. Mm. There was uh, uh, there was one moment. Sorry, uh, like we we have asides and stuff like that between Henry and Indy. There's a brilliant one in this when they Indy turns around to Henry and just says, "How did you know she was a Nazi?" And Connery goes, "She talks in her sleep." And there's just this what felt like about two minutes of just like <laughs> just a back and forth of exchange of looks. It's the realization them. that comes across her is brilliant. <laughs> but you also look at it and you go. Yeah, that's just because that's James Bond. That's why. <laughs> that wasn't in the script. Sean Adlibbed it, and the, everyone creased. They had to cut. Mm-mm-mm. No. And Spielberg went, "That's in. Keep it in." <laughs> yeah, it's Sean Adlibbed it, <laughs> and it, the whole set just fell, fell about laughing, and it, like, mm-hmm. it's in. keep that in. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah, so it wasn't good. meant to be later on until the penny drops that they they've both slept with her. But he just threw it in there, and it's very well done. So the, the comedy is it, it's one of my favorite lines <clears throat> in the film. Yeah. Oh, completely. We have this thing where, like, there's like Elsa knows that, like, there's because there's pages of the diary missing, maps with no names, and they need them. And that's when Elsa says, "We don't need to know where they are. We know that 
Marcus Brody will have them. So you're going to tell us where Marcus is. And Indy's giving it all like, ah, you'll never find him. He speaks like 12 languages. <laughs> he can blend in. He knows every customer in every country, yada, yada, yada. And then we cut to Denim Elliott in Egypt, just walking around with like a chicken on his shoulder and all sorts of nonsense to say if anyone speaks English. And that's where we meet an old friend of the franchise. We see Salah, played by Welsh actor Jonathan Rhys Davis. <laughs> Gimli himself. <laughs> Like there's this whole bit, like you know, like like they they end up getting their hands on Marcus very easily. I might add, you might think that like there might be a bit of like cat and mouse or whatever like that. It's about two minutes, and then like Salah gets into a fight with a load of like Nazi agents, load of Gestapo at the train station, and then he winds up putting like okay. So I keep breaking this down in my head this little bit that so he he ushers Marcus into this house right that turns out to be like he sends him up a ramp isn't it into a shop though or something either way yeah and it's curtained as well so i'm guessing the intention was always to get them into this lorry it's just that they managed to do it themselves but this is also salah's town yeah the setup for that right is phenomenal right yeah like 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 the the detail in what they're doing is crazy that for then he hasn't noticed a giant cutout. <laughs> but he pulled that same stunt in Raiders. Yeah, though. that's that's the thing. It's the reference, isn't it? Yeah. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. Brilliant. But yeah, and then Marcus gets taken away. So, Lee, this is what you were talking about earlier, where you got like the the, the what I like to call the Jones's Grand Escape. Yeah. Because there's a lot there's a lot to unpack here. Like a lot happens in this. It's just, I mean, for me, I just love that little bit of physical comedy. It's such a simple thing where they're both tied to the chairs back to back. And he's like, Dad, and he looks one way, and they, you know, they both keep looking the wrong way. Like, just, oh, yes. that, I don't know why that tickles me so much, but it really does. It's, it's such a like, just the the two of them like playing off each other is so good across the film. The timing is honestly wonderful. Mm. It's it, it it's really brilliant to see. So when they finally get out of the chairs, right? There was well, they don't get out of the chairs. They manage to after after Henry sets a light to the floor, and like, <laughs> now the curtain. And the chair <laughs> and then they managed to hop over to this fireplace and it turns out to be a secret doorway which sends them into this uh, nazi map room and i was watching this and just went is this where they got the idea for frau farbissner <laughs> yeah powers <laughs> yeah it had to be it must have been right they just faced with this angry female nazi just yelling <laughs> and it just made me go that's that that's austin powers yeah massively so end of so like this next bit, this is this is some Looney Tune style nonsense because like they let the boat go, the boat doesn't get very far. They can see no one's in the boat, but the Nazis are still getting in boats to chase after the boat that they can see that no one's in the boat. Yeah, we thought that as well. We we're like, hang on, if they just look, they'll see there's no one in that boat, right? Quite quickly. <laughs> yeah, and also they don't give themselves much time. They could have stayed in that box for hours. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. They, they could have waited. Yeah, they could have gone up river. They could have been, I don't know, back in Berlin or something. God knows where. And they could have just, like, just rode away. No problem. But no, straight off the bat, they go. And then we're on to the, yep. the, uh, the volatile uh, bikes. 
of the uh, German army of the Wehrmacht. Now we're now we're on the speed of bikes riding through the forest moon of Endor. <laughs> to be honest, all of that all of that bit, I actually quite enjoy the chase. Is the the one bit that does it for me is where he gets the uh, the broken flagpole or something. Yeah, and he shoves yep. it in the guy's yeah, yeah, front yeah. wheel. How many jousts? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, not even. Well, not even. I mean, that guy would have been impaled, not just knocked off his bike. I mean, they they tone that down quite a bit. It's it's the bit when there's one alongside him and he gets the remnants yeah, of it and he just jams it in the guy's front wheel, and all of a sudden the air ram that is used to propel that bike <laughs> is then given a sound effect and made to be quite obvious what has happened. It's like that's not what would have happened. <laughs> It's like a jet engine backfired. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's a crazy sound effect. Hmm. Uh, it's movie uh, magic. Well, yeah, it's like it's, it's movie magic, but showing <laughs> showing the behind the scenes and yeah. adding a sound effect to it because that's not the sound that that air ram would have made. Like, <laughs> but it's almost like that moment in Gladiator when the cart flips over in the arena <laughs> no, see, and you can see the that's oxygen tank that wasn't caught. They've deliberately gone. Okay, yeah, we we can see the we can see the, uh, the the steam and you know gas or whatever that's coming out of the air to make the bike flip. But what we should do is really call attention to it and stick a sound effect over it because <laughs> it's a very. I think it is the same sort of. You hear that sound effect, and I think Return of the Jedi or something. It's it's definitely a sound effect that's been used across multiple yes. multiple films. Yeah. I forget but the exact. We're looking at with like older eyes when you're a kid. That is bloody impressive and well, hilarious. It's like, the Wilhelm, explosion. it's like the Wilhelm screams yeah. in every yeah. thing as well, mm. isn't it? And Great little chase, though. I do enjoy that chase. Like, oh, it's brilliant. That's when we find like after like after the jet propelled crash, they finally get away. And I noticed this. I didn't notice this till I was much older because as they're driving on the bike, you see the signposts that are in German, right? And then they have this little exchange where you find out they've got to go and get the diary. Indy wants to go and find Marcus. Henry says they have to go back to Berlin to get the diary from Elsa because all of the details that they need are in there because why would he remember these things? He wrote it down in the diary so he didn't have to remember them. And so they're going to go to the lion's den. But when you look at the signposts as they're looking at them, they're in English. (laughs) Are they? Yes. Mm, You're not wrong. When When the camera zooms in on them from when Indy and Henry would be looking at them, they're in English, but on the back side of it, they're in German. And I went, like in Wales? See, right. So this this kind of ties into something that happens in Temple of Doom. I know it's probably not why. But in that, there's a lot of like especially when he meets like the village elder, the village elder is speaking in English to him. But then it's and you Indy speaks back to him in English, but then at various points during the scene, they speak in the language that you know that they use. Native there. tongue, yeah, yeah the native tongue. Yes. And it's like, yeah. is that are we now seeing it from another character's perspective, or is it just they are just speaking in two languages here? Like, and is it a similar deal? It's like you know, we see it originally. They roll up on it, and it's in German. And then when you see it from their perspective, they see it in English because they can understand German. Well, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. I think it's because they can translate it. They can speak mm. the native tongues, be it in. Germany, even though it's filmed in California, so <laughs> yeah, they're very, 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 very um, <laughs> German-looking Californian forest. Yeah, yeah. There's a TARDIS somewhere with a translation circuit going mm. off. So everyone yeah. understands everything. Babble fish of some sort kicking around. Universal <laughs> translator on the breast, mm. on the com badge. <laughs> there you go. How many geek references for Indeed. just how many how many how many how many, how many how many niche references to Universal translators can we get into <laughs> one excerpt? 
But interesting fact about uh, the the next scene coming up with uh, I say interesting fact. It's interesting to me. But uh, I've actually met the guy who, who plays Hitler. I have a signed still from the film that says "To Lee from Hitler." It's uh, Michael Sheard, Mr. Wait. Bronson himself, Admiral yeah, Oswald. Green chill. Whoa, hold on. <laughs> so, right. So to give a bit of history and context to this, about 20 years ago, I was club secretary for the local war games group. And every year they put on a little show to help raise funds for the club, etc. And at one point when I was club secretary, I, the phone the phone rang one day. Oh, hi. Yeah, is that Lee? I was like, yeah. It's this American accent. I'm like, oh, who's this? So it's, uh, it's Richard Le Parmentier. I'm not sure if you've heard of me. I played Admiral Motti in Star Wars and I nearly shat myself and dropped the phone. <laughs> and essentially he was like, he said that I, I do, I go around to various shows and do little signings and stuff. And so we got chatting and he came to our show and then he passed his info on, or our info on, sorry, to evidently Michael Sheard's agent who then contacted us. This was, this was a couple of years later after I'd stopped being secretary. But then he, yeah, he came along to our show and did the same sort of thing. And as a thank you, one of the guys got me, got him to sign a uh, uh, still from uh, from Last Crusade, which uh, says Tuli from wow. Hitler. And I'm buggered if I can find it. It's really annoying me because I've put it in a box somewhere when we moved house recently, and I cannot find it at the moment. So I need to I need to dig that back out. Maybe get that framed. Maybe. Oh, you got to get the bad boy framed, <laughs> mate. Mate, I mate, I'm in my office right now. I'm literally looking at an autographed photo of Hacksaw Jim Duggan from WWF oh. with a flag and a two by four. Yeah, damn right, absolutely. And that is like like I had that like in a folder for years. I went, Do you know what? That shit's going on the wall. <laughs> also, in that scene, blink and you'll miss it. But next to Hitler, I think it's playing um, Himmler or Goebbels. It's um, Ronald Lacey who played Tot in Raiders. Hmm. He's there as well just behind Michael Sheard. Oh, right. But it's, you have to know what you're looking for as well. Yeah. <laughs> so after they get the Grail Diary, they're leaving. They're going to get on it. They're going to they're gonna pull the red hot chili peppers. They're going to fly away on their Zephyr and they're going to try and get away. I see Lee <laughs> shaking his head. Not a Zephyr. <laughs> is that not the same not thing? No, Zephyr is wind. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, stand by. <laughs> Damn it. Could I could have made a Led Zeppelin reference instead. I failed. <laughs> Dang it. Anyway. You better not edit this out and put in put in another another no. thing and then just like paste in our laughter or something. Stairway no. denied. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna do that. I'll take my lumps. Ollie's been dealing with it for the last 18 months. I know the amount of grief I get from you lot. <laughs> Steen ceiling. Kevin seven <laughs> bacon. <laughs> it never used to happen. It never Henry used to happen Kevel. when we like recorded on like a Sunday morning when I was like awake. <laughs> so they get on the Zeppelin, right? right? Yes, Zeppelin. Right. <laughs> they get on the Zeppelin. They're sitting at the table, and I don't know if any of you noticed this. That Connery opens the newspaper. He's reading it upside down. <laughs> I didn't notice that actually. Like, he flicks it open with such authority. But I'm looking at that going, that newspaper's upside down. <laughs> And we get to one of the, maybe one of the most quoted moments of this movie, particularly in certain movies that we've grown up watching, because that's when he realised, like, like, Indy looks down and he sees that Vogel, the general from before, is heading towards the Zeppelin and they're going to start looking for them. Their faces are all over the newspapers, like, words getting out, these people are wanted by the German government. Vogel's looking around, 
inspecting everyone. Like if they're reading newspapers, he's got his very stereotypical Nazi cane, silver top cane, knocking down. So Captain Harris. <laughs> yes, very much knocking down people's newspapers, looking at their faces, and Indy catches onto this and he leaves, following out someone that works on the Zeppelin in a uniform. And while this is going on, he finds Henry, takes down the newspaper. And again, Connery just does this wonderful double take looking up at him and just goes, <laughs> while this is going on, Indy's looking for uh, around and he's asking for people's tickets. And then he's, he goes to the general and he says, it, it, like, I can't remember the German name for ticket, but he says it in German first. And he won't listen to him. He said, ticket, please. And he turns around, give him some shit. And he sees this Indy and he punches him in the face and he throws him out the window. Turns around to the whole crowd and he goes, no ticket. And this is where they all start freaking out and getting there. <laughs> <laughs> all scrambling for their tickets. And so they have this, it's not really a heart to heart at this point, but they do try. I read somewhere that this was like the, this was the, the Zoom, this was the Zoom call wardrobe <laughs> of the Spielberg movies because apparently during this entire exchange, Sean Connery and Harrison Ford were not wearing trousers because the studio was really hot. <laughs> so I didn't want to look too close. I was afraid of what might have peaked, but yeah, like, Apparently, during that entire Zeppelin sequence, it was filmed in a very hot studio. Connery didn't want to sweat too much, and so as a result, both of them are just not wearing trousers. <laughs> and as they're having this conversation, Indy notices shadows moving. They're moving in like, like they're spinning around, so that's when he realizes they're actually taking them back to Germany. So they're heading over. They're going to go to this plane because they got this one escape plane. Is it what? Well, not an escape plane. It's there as a line of defense for the Zeppelin, isn't it? Well, I don't know because the the war's not on in 1938, so no. But I suppose if it's it's weirdly it's armed, like you know. <laughs> but yeah, I don't. It's never. But that's really why explained. I figured it would be in defence rather if anyone was trying to attack it or or. I think if anyone's attacking like that thing, it's fucked. Like I don't think a biplane yeah. is going to help. Could it be used as some sort of like auxiliary power? No, I think I I I think it's just a contrivance. Weight of that zeppelin yeah. would be. Insane. I think it's just a, a, a contrivance of the plot. I don't. I, you know, I don't know a great deal about zeppelins, but I don't. I, I did look this. Up. It's called a parasite plane. It's if you, it, it was to support the plane. If anything, but if anything happened, it was there to support. If it was attacked by anything, it would detach oh, and. Okay. No, so it was defense. Okay. Yeah. How weird! We don't have that these days on like jumbo jets. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of ball turrets on those, like you know, just in case. <laughs> There's the, the, like again. There's so much with this bit, like between Henry absolutely shredding the tail of the plane <laughs> with its own gun, and then blaming it <laughs> on the other plane by saying they got us. <laughs> just what? Just wonderful comic timing. But what got me is that like there's the bit where after they crash, they get in a car. Grand right? Theft Auto now as well added to the uh, criminal record. Yep. And they're riding in that car, and they get to a tunnel, big hill, like big mountain tunnel. This German plane would no doubt see, like, like understand that even if there wasn't a tunnel, it's still the bottom of mm. a mountain. That plane dives horrendously to the point that it would never have survived anyway. But then it just goes through, it hits the tunnel. This bit I did laugh at, like where it hits the tunnel, the wings fly off, and the plane is shooting through the tunnel 
overtaking the car to the point that the pilot is then kind of looking at it like it's Luke looking at the Wampa at a petrol station <laughs> and robot chicken just going, run! And it just keeps going and then it blows yeah. up. Then it explodes. Believe... <laughs> then it explodes. <laughs> Completely unnecessary explosion, which they then decide to drive through and, you know, way to wreck your car, drive through flaming debris. It's not theirs. <laughs> it's not theirs. <laughs> It didn't wreck the car, no, though, did it? That's not the that's not the thing that took the car out. What took the car out was just like them just crashing. Literally driving it like they stole it. No, it's a, it's um, a bomb crater, The other plane it? drops yeah. a bomb, yeah, and then they crash bomb. into it. Oh, that's right, yeah, yeah. And then that's when they exit, yeah, then exit the car down to the beach. Yes, and that's when we find out you don't need a gun, you don't need rockets, what you need are pigeons. Yes. <laughs> seagulls. 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 Pigeons. pigeons. <laughs> you can't train seagulls. Oh, really? They were staged as seagulls, oh, okay. but they were actually pigeons because you cannot train seagulls. Did they also fly the plane into them then? Because, I mean, that plane is coming in at them, and that's a real plane. That's not that's not superimposed on top. That is a, that is a real plane <laughs> flying in at them. Did they just call There's the There's a load of strike? cardboard cut-out seagulls on the, on the beach, but they're actually, yeah, they're pigeons. Okay, fine. <laughs> I was going to say, the animal cruelty in this film is like through the roof at the moment, otherwise... Oh, it's off the charts, isn't it? <laughs> Add that so, to the yeah. felony list. <laughs> yeah. No, but that's not Indy, that's that's Henry Jones Senior. Well, <laughs> that's Henry Jones. He's old enough to know better. <laughs> <He's>... <laughs> so then, while all this chaos is going on, the Nazis and Donovan and Elsa are going to try and find the Valley of the Crescent Moon, and as a sign of respect... So they're not fucking around in someone's backyard. They go and see this sultan, right? Played by... <laughs> played by Alexi Sales. <laughs> it's like you're expecting some sort of pride. He's actually playing this very straight, really. Very unusual for Alexi Sale at this point. And I just love the... I just love the gag between him and Donovan. Like, after, you know, they bring, like, jewels and crowns and all this sort of bump and... He rolls off the thing that, that like he wants the he wants the Rolls Royce Phantom that they brought. He wants the Nazi mobile that they rode in on, and he walks with him and said, "You will need horses, provisions, soldiers, and tanks." And it's just the way Donovan goes. You're welcome. I just brilliant. Just it's just but oddly tough. But let's be honest: is a tank the best thing to go on a long trek through the desert with? Because they are the most fuel inefficient things you could think of. Like horses and camels, brilliant. That's what you want in the desert, right? A tank? I don't know how they all didn't roast alive in the thing either. Well, yeah, that too. Mm. And I'm not even sure if that is a genuine tank with a turret. I'm pretty sure the kind of Mark I males and such didn't have turrets. Turrets were not a thing in the First World War. And obviously they were coming in in the second. But by that point, they were redesigning tanks. I'm sure a real right. tank connoisseur could probably correct me, but... I think that turret's a fake. I mean, talk about the turret. I want to get into the. Like, I want to get in that scene quickly because there's like there's so much. There's so much more to unpack in this movie. I'm going to try and chuck it on a little bit because, like, really, there's like there's so much when like what well, I really did enjoy the bit where like like they're where they're spying on them. And they see the like the they see the binoculars reflecting the glint, hmm. yeah. the glint, and they're going to say, "Oh, it's going to be yeah, it's it's going to be him." And Henry's just going to say, "Junior, get down." He said, "No, we're well out of range," and he just. <laughs> The car blows up. Salah's just going inside. That was my brother. That, ta- that tank shell that takes a forever and a day is like a Sea of Thieves cannonball shot. The amount of time that thing takes to traverse from firing to actually blowing up the car. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's so much of this movie. 
brilliant action scene though with with the whole tank chase if we're going to skip forward yeah oh it's incredible and and, and, and i mean like what what i remember watching as a kid like like that that was a hell of a thing like when you're a kid seeing like uh like when indy's fighting like four nazi soldiers on mm. top of the tank and then he fires <laughs> shoots three of them he fires a, a handgun and it goes through all of them that was just insane it's that little look he gives the gun as well hmm like, he just wasn't, wasn't yeah. expecting it. He was like, oh. Yeah, this thing's way better than my revolver. Yeah. <laughs> Why have I got a whip? <laughs> it's, well, like, after all this, he's having this major fight with, with Vogel, right? He's having this big fight with the Nazi general on the, on the tank. While this is going on, Marcus and Henry are in the tank because Henry's gone to try and save Marcus. Sal is off somewhere, stealing as many horses as he can as compensation for his brother-in-law because camels. the car got blown up. Yeah, it's camels, yeah. Camels, sorry. And so Indy eventually gets everyone off the tank, and it's just him and Vogel fighting on the tank. And then there's just this great... is it is, is framed so perfectly when he looks up and he sees the edge of the mountain and his hat just flies off. Mm. Just that look of fear on his face and his hat just disappears. And the tank goes... And you see Vogel just holding on. Now this is like this is like good old fashioned eighties practical effects because like you see Vogel holding onto the tank with both hands, screaming, and as the tank hits the floor, this model of the tank, you see this little tiny dummy Vogel flopping around, still holding on, but still holding onto the tank. And as you get older, it's like sorry, that man is dead. He's not still holding onto that <laughs> tank. Doesn't explode though, weirdly. Of all the things to explode in this film, the tank yeah. is not one of them. Right, it kind of hits the ground, the turret comes off, then magically reattaches as it rolls. <laughs> I noticed that. But then yeah. I'm guessing that's not... Because what comes next, that's not the point of the scene, is it? Because if it exploded, it would detract from what's coming next. All you would have is a massive explosion. You'd have the aftermath of the explosion. But they could yeah. still think that Indy's died. Well, yeah, but they just don't want the distraction of the explosion, do they? Because that is quite a. But we're okay. We're okay with a boat exploding and. <laughs> well, no, but what Ollie's saying is that like it detracts from the emotion that we're going to get from Sean Connery in this uh, moment. I guess yeah. because like he has that realization of that was the odd that was the odd line though that he has. So just going to say, I never told him anything. <laughs> five minutes would have been enough. What? What are you getting? Yeah. I'm not your dad. What's five minutes going to do? <laughs> yeah. As you can tell, I'm Scottish. <laughs> you are not adopted. Done. Like who? Who has a Scottish? Who has a Scottish accent in Utah? Exactly. But he has this very touching moment, looking at the wreckage, and everyone is mourning. And I've just always enjoyed Harrison Ford's reaction of like, as he gets up and he's standing behind everyone, and he's just looking down, like, oh, what are we yeah. looking at? The like, little sort of the crane of the neck. <laughs> he's looking down. At one point, he exhales, but. Whew, yeah, that was that was a close one. And it's this very touching moment, and then quick hug, and then they all rush off, and he just falls on the floor. And that fucking hat, that fucking hat, <laughs> always finds a way to come back as it just breezes past and landed in front of him. It's like Laszlo's witch's hat for what we do in the shadows. It always comes back. <laughs> While this is going on, the Valley of the Crescent Moon has been found. The Nazis have moved into the temple. And our heroes get into the temple and they're kind of watching from from the shadows. That temple in Jordan, a place called Petra, I yes, had the opportunity yeah. to go there and I passed it up. We oh, So wow. many, many, many years ago, we went on a holiday to Israel to go to the Red Sea, uh, to a place called Ilat. 
absolutely gorgeous place. Snorkeling in the water is like the reef from Finding Nemo. Fucking incredible. Anyway, hmm. one of the days, mum went off on a day trip with a couple of the other like divers' wives and whatnot. And they were like, do you want to come? They went off to Jordan, to Petra, to see these, like, you know, fabled kind of carved buildings into the cliffs. And I didn't. I went out on a boat with Dad, and we went snorkeling further out in the Red Sea. And I'm like, oh, I wish I'd gone to Petra now. <laughs> but, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. But I came that close. I, I was close to getting there. Is it still yeah. there? Yeah. Or has it been mm. destroyed? No, it was It was used still in there. Uh, Transformers Dark of the Moon? No, Dark of the Moon, Revenge of the Fallen. No. Revenge of the yeah. Fallen. Revenge of the Fallen. There you go. There's your, there's your, there's your um, monthly Transformers S- reference. Son of a bitch. I'm perhaps I'm thinking another one. There's a very similar temple opening which has been destroyed. They have destroyed some, sadly, some of the uh, lesser, yeah, that's what was... less desirable groups out there. I fall for it every time. <laughs> You're always going to get a Transformers reference, mate, when I'm here. He's only moaning because <laughs> we missed the Ghostbusters. Yeah, exactly. He's exactly. He already, still, yeah, he's already given me still shit. Still about it. So as we see that we see the the soldiers that the Sultan gave the Nazis are being used as, as guinea pigs for these tests that Henry was talking about before. Three tests of lethal cunning. And we find out how lethal as... The boar bugger that's going through gets his head cut off by this first task, which is called the breath of God. But so only a penitent man will pass, right? So a penitent man kneels before God. I think I know what you're going to say. Uh, at what point does it describe that a penitence also involves a combat roll forward? Penitent <laughs> <laughs> man ducks and rolls. <laughs> yeah. I literally, I, 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 I literally like my my notes here, and we're getting ahead because there's something that I mm. want to talk about very very briefly. But um, I, I, I wrote down, apparently the penitent man kneels and does a barrel roll. <laughs> but also, those other two guys, they get their head cut off and then they don't get cut by the second blade because they are intact other than a severed head. So what's the point of the second blade, right? It's kind of one of those. I, is it in case you get past the first one? Well, the second blade is horizontal as well. Mm. If you imagine, well, it's, uh, so, uh, sorry, the, uh, the other blade is mm. vertical and straight. It's not like going across. So, if anything, like yeah, it's like, like how that would cut wouldn't necessarily land. Yeah, it's very odd, and it doesn't it doesn't cut either of the other two that have had their heads lopped off. So it's like, what's the point of it mm. other than to catch you out? And you know, if you forget to combat roll before God. Yeah, <laughs> you know that's what they do. That's what they do in church, right? I don't. I'm not a church girl. I'm not religious, but yeah, presumably they're all in there, like rolling around on crash mats, like like it's some sort of uh, martial art. <laughs> but it's also the engineering which has gone into this by those crazy Knights Templar. I mean, mm. those booby traps are still killing folks all these years later it's like where is the mechanism where has it been like buried into that stone wall yeah there's Uh, only three of them found it right it's all like he can barely lift his sword but he can but but goddamn if he can't sand the edges (laughs) of those huge blades that are coming out of the rock (laughs) i mean right so there was one thing that i watched this time around we just go oh the irony, because the reason why Indy is having to go into the temple to try and find the Grail is because Walter Donovan has decided to throw a gambit down and he shoots Henry Jones. 
in the gut. Bang. Now, there was so much irony in this scene where Sean Connery is shot by the very gun that put him on the map. <laughs> oh, is it a Pete Wolf for PPK? So, it's PPK. It's a Walt. It's a Walt PPK that you huh. shot with. I just went, oh, that's clever. That's rough. That's a, <laughs> that's that's, a, that's that's tough. With the sound of a magnum. <laughs> yeah, it was huge, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, Ben Burt. They wanted it to be split. So Ben Burt went down to the Lucasfilm garages and fired a magnum as George Lucas was driving into the parking lot. Must have scared the living oh, shit damn. out of him. Jesus. <laughs> sound, sound engineer, bang! <laughs> so this bit, the next bit, which are in the, the the word of God, and I'm only going to breeze past it briefly because this was the first time that I realised that in um that in the Latin you realise that Jehovah begins with an I. Mm. I learnt on that one. I want to talk about the the step. I want to talk about the path of mm. God, the final step, right? Because this is something that I couldn't quite work out. So, so so are we to believe that at this point that the guardians of the Grail, the two brothers, three brothers, sorry, because they, like, like they all stayed and then they just drifted off at one point or another. But are we to believe that the Knights Templar that were looking after the Grail painted an optical illusion yeah. on a stone bridge? That one never sat right with me either. It's a sailboat. <laughs> but it's like, surely if he approaches it from just slightly off angle, he'll spot it, right? It just didn't make sense to me. Like, the, like... They came in with the armor on their backs, and that was it. But uh, they had some fucking time on their hands. <laughs> well, this is why I wasn't sure about it because I'm pretty sure that this is how they found it. They worked that out, so that was there beforehand. So this predates. So right, admittedly, maybe nobody's got past those blades, right? But like, surely somebody must have fucked up on those, like spelling out the the word of God or the name of God, and like you know, there's, there should be more holes in the floor, right? Yeah, who put those letters yeah. down? Who carved them out? Who's and also, replacing the letters? Notice they're magically held in place. It's not a case of only the, the right ones have a pillar leading up to the one that you step on and the rest are just a thin veneer. It's like, mm. it's just magic. The word I could kind of work past, but the step is that, like, who painted that bridge? Yeah, that's some, that's some next level shit. Because at one point I thought, are we just seeing it as an optical illusion? But it's really not there. And I thought, well, no, because like when you see it, you see the underside mm. of the stone. So it is like it is a rock bridge that exists, but it literally looks like someone's painted yeah. it. But those only those things only work from the exact perspective they're meant to be seen at. The second you if you're off by even an inch, you would e- instantly see mm. that it's a painted rock bridge, right? I mean, obviously, it's suspension R- of disbelief. But what's but the what's the saying when he's take a leap of faith? But is there something about is there because there's a is there a lion's head? Yeah, a leap from the lion's head. Yeah, so he has lined you up. But the lion's head's like to one side of the thing. So actually, if you were to look through the lion's head, you'd probably spot it. Or maybe that's the point. I don't know. We're overthinking this, probably. Anyway, Anyway, yeah, yeah, I'm overthinking. But the, so, okay, so real talk, though. So like when he finds the knight, how many times do you think he's read that book? Like it's literally (laughs) the only book that's there. Does he really need to read it at this point? Are there just really nice pictures in it? Because <laughs> like ultimately he should know that book down pat. Like, like 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 I've had to learn books full of lines in like three months. He's been there for seven centuries. Which incidentally, he takes that news like a fucking mm. champ. Like at one point, like like, it, like Indy turns around and just said, like, that was seven hundred years ago. You're long time to wait. Not at one point did he go. How long? Also, there's you know the, there's the kind of contrivance that they can understand each other because language has changed a lot in 700 years. English is English Very today true. is not not the English of 700 years ago. 
But we'll let it slide because it's a cool scene. It is a cool. It is a cool scene. I love this scene so much. Um, that's when he like he tells the the legend he was like he was one of three brothers. He was the last one to remain. Oh, yeah, we defiled your brother's corpse in Venice. FYI, <laughs> yeah, doesn't drop that one in a nose. Oh yeah, the one that I threw into a massive pool of yeah, petroleum. That, see, that's another. That's another bloody criminal record. <laughs> another little notch on the record there. <laughs> So, like, the whole point is, is that the knight is waiting for the next knight to come along, kill him, and take his place. Which felt like a bit of a bonkers one. Like, surely the honor around it would would just be, and now you can go and live your life peacefully and die, rather than you need to kill me right yeah. here. Like, he gives his sword and says, "I pass it to you to vanquish who's, me." Who's cra- he's craving that job, right? Eternal life. If you never leave, if you don't cross past the seal. You can live forever as long as you stay in here and guard all of this. Oh, there's grey areas that I want to get into. Like this is the big thing about the film for me. But ultimately, like like we get this 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 next bit of choosing the Grail, or what I like to refer to as AKA that bitch, because <laughs> he's polished those up real nice. There, I mean, he's had seven hundred years worth of. I don't know where he's getting his stock of polish from, but like like also his like his tunics are reasonably mm. clean. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, like, but it's also. The same place. He got all the WD-40 for those blades from as well. Because, yeah, <laughs> I don't know, he must have gone to... Being like airdrops like in. Like some wholesaler <laughs> before. It's all in that book, <laughs> how to reset traps. And- <laughs> <laughs> how to fashion WD-40 from grit. <laughs> Who knew that Costco existed seven centuries ago? In, in Petra or in the Valley of the Crescent Moon. He's probably probably washing it in the water. (laughs) See, it's all those it's all those hidden loopholes as to how you can actually get cards. You know, sometimes it turns out if you walk in and can prove you're a member of the AA or the RAC or anything like that, it turns out if you guard the vessel of Christ, you're in. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Free shit for life. Buy what you want. How's he getting it? He's got to go out to get it. I I, I mean, I'd imagine Bezos is flying it in from somewhere. (laughs) In 1938, the man was ahead of his time. Yes, I like to refer to this as AKA this bitch because, <laughs> like, this is where we find like like Donovan and Elsa come in, and he does not know what he's looking at. He's not a historian. He's not like like he doesn't know these things. And that's when like there's there's something a little different in Elsa's eyes at this point. She said, "Let me choose for you," <laughs> and just randomly chooses a cup and even looks at Indy when she's doing it. And what's crazy about this bit is that like he knows that she's full of shit, and he doesn't stop it. He will lets this guy die in the most horrendous fashion because as the knight tells us... I mean, us, the guy did just shoot his dad, to be fair. Very true. But as the knight tells us to start with, like, the real grail will grant eternal life. Any other one will take it away. And that's when we see a very cool computer graphic at this point. One of the first, if I was reading this right, one of the first full computer graphics things that ILM did. There was no overlays or anything like that. It was fully computer until it becomes the skeleton at the uh, end no wasn't it it was the first morphing technique between the different morphing technique. Yeah, sorry rather yeah. than full cg thing it was yeah isn't it different, just different negatives stage. no it's different stages well. of a of, of nope. they, they go into it on that documentary that damien mentioned it's right like how they did it and they morph because they them. used similar for young sherlock holmes with the stained glass line. yeah that's that's the first oh, fully yes. cg character yeah. But like the morphing between the, the like they have a dummy at various states essentially, and they... but still it's no melting head. No, I mean that one is fucking <laughs> horrific, isn't it? That's, you know. Yeah. Again, can we talk about that being a PG? How like we see like several heads mm. melt like candles 
between muscle, blood, and bone, and then see Belloc's head explode mm. in Raiders of the Lost Ark. And that was a no, PG. they cover it with flame. And I watched they put that flame in the way to mask it somewhat. A bit like what they did to um, Randall Park in the interview when he plays Kim Jong Un. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think, but but even so, a PG. I think I probably watched that when I was seven. Yeah, it's in- crazy. Yeah. Absolutely crazy. Senses these Different days. time. So Donovan just ages drastically to the extent that, like, there was something that's always caught me with this, like, like since I was a kid, like, where he gets the long gray hair and he gets a little bit more wrinkled. Weirdly, he's always reminded me of Christopher Lloyd and Back to the Future. I don't know what it is. <laughs> There's just been something about it that yeah. has just not it's sat. But yeah, it's, it's always reminded me. Where he's like, great grips mm. older and he's like, you know. Oh, it's. Well, it's, it's also where it goes from, from like speech to just, well, screaming, isn't it? It's like a yeah. a roar, but it's not just his voice. It's where you can almost hear the hair growing, the mm. the, the face aging. Yeah. And it's the it's the holding on to Elsa as well, which I think is the, the scary, the scary bit. Because mm. he's just realised what she's done. So he's exacting revenge on her as best he can now this is where i get a little bit hazy on the rules of the grail right because the knight turns around and just says like after well first of all we have the one of the immortal lines of this movie he chose poorly then they piece together that it wouldn't be gold it wouldn't be jewels or anything like that because jesus let's face it apparently was a bit of a humble man wasn't too big on the show off they find this very beaten up cup and he drinks from it that's when he you have chosen wisely and that's when you get to hear the rules which i'm a little bit hazy on i want to get into this because he says the cup cannot cross the seal right correct yeah he says that is the price of immortality does that mean that the cup like the cup just can't cross or does that mean that theoretically you could if you can run fast enough and you can get the cup over the marker then you're home free it's a good point but if it's the case that like if the cup crosses the marker, like the power of the grail only works within the temple. That was my thinking, right? It's crap, right? It's a crap kind of price to get eternal life and then have to stay there. But does that then mean, theoretically, should Henry Jones still die? Yeah. Because after yeah, this yeah. has happened, Indy takes the cup, takes the holy grail out to Henry Jones with water in it, and pours away the bullet wound, and he's all of a sudden magically fine. So if the power of the grail only keeps you immortal... Where's the bullet at this point? It's like, literally, it's dissolves, we look at each other, the, bullet, the bullet's still in him. It's the grail, it just dissolves. Okay, fine. It just dissolves, all right, that's all the physics. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. This is how he dies, lead poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> it's always, it's always yeah. been in there. It'll get him 50 years later, yeah. But there's a proper like monkey paw situation, and it's like, yeah, you get, yeah, you were cured of the wound, but the lead is still inside <laughs> yeah. you. But does that then mean that, like, if the power of the Grail only works in the temple, when Henry leaves the temple, does that mean that theoretically his wound should have returned? Uh, it's only the Grail itself. It's the Grail itself that can't leave. It's not necessarily the people. The power. Yeah. Of it. But then, why doesn't the knight leave? Because he's guarding it. He's sworn to guard it and protect it. Yeah, it's it. his honor to stay there isn't it mm. and what's sustaining his his life I'd probably no, I, I presume he's drunk from the grail as well well that's what but I, he's, he's always been drinking from the grail yeah that's it, how he survives hasn't he yeah. he's over the years he's continuously which means he shouldn't have aged technically 
If it's eternal, well, unless I don't know, I don't know what the unless kind of, he was old when he found it, and now yeah, he's just what dusty. Are the, what are the rules of eternal life? Right? <laughs> Does it mean that you'll you, you'll age slower, or you'll just age continuously but never die? Which sounds fucking. And if so, hideous. how much? How many? How how many miles does that turn the clock back on Indy after he's taken a massive swig of it before he gave some yeah. to Henry? Good point. To save him from does the that mean, Is that going to come up in uh, Dial of Destiny? Who knows? Maybe. Pick of Destiny. Pick of Destiny, yeah. <laughs> I know, I hate, I hate the new title, but... <laughs> but, like, did you know, I, 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 it, it only really occurred to me in this watch, but it's, like, always when the knight's in shot, he's always bathed in, like, kind of white, bright white light, yeah. kind of ethereal light mm, yeah. compared to, like, everyone else, which... Well, he's the only one that's done it out of, let's say, goodness. He's done mm. it for the right reasons. He's there, sure. he's stayed the term he's stuck it out man of faith yeah and all that yeah, yeah. whereas everyone mm. else well no indy has his own reasons to save his father but everyone else has selfish reasons which mm. is why they have their comeuppance yeah you know why donovan gets it well as we lead out and the 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 grail crosses the symbol it starts to crack yeah. and elsa is, is selfish she goes for it and ultimately dies because of it that was one thing that re found when we were watching this is that can you imagine the sod's law of this this knight has given seven centuries of his life guarding this the first people to see it yeah the f- yeah finally get some respite worthy people who can get through all of the tasks that they need to do finally get to it and he hands it over and he said but don't do this and the one fucking <laughs> thing he says not to do within five minutes these motherfuckers trash his home presumably he dies during all <laughs> of this like, it basically it's just yeah. oh completely the, the the grail is is obviously far far below the surface of the earth now and as are a bunch of nazis and yeah and and him evidently which you kind of feel sad for him it's like he's been there 700 years and then yeah they come in and just fuck shit up and then leave leaving yeah. to die yeah thanks thanks for 700 years yeah but at least it's just the good people that leave mm. yeah multiple murderer Car thief, <laughs> you know, <laughs> myriad other charges. Collective member Lee coming in with a hot take of Indiana Jones. Criminal. Murdering scumbag. <laughs> Indy 6, the trial of Indiana Jones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jones, the people versus Indiana Jones. <laughs> All the Nazis are beaten. The Grail is is gone. It's it it It's in amongst the ruins, never to be seen again. And Indy, Henry, Salah, and Marcus have this lineup before they're about to go. That's when Salah comes out with this thing, because Henry refers to him as Junior again, and, you know, Salah's from a, a foreign land. He doesn't understand the term of Junior. He said, well, that's his name. My name is Henry Jones. He points to him. He goes, Junior. He says, my name is Indiana. He goes, we named the dog Indiana. And that's when you get that immortal response of the dog. <laughs> so good. It's just, it's so good. It's a reference to Lucas's dog, wasn't it? It was also called Indiana, I believe. Yeah. I think, I oh, think the husky right? at the start it's that they the see. the inspiration for Chewbacca. Yeah. Yes. But yeah. I think, I'm not sure if that is his actual husky or not. I mean, it might not be by that point, but... Yeah, I, it's, that's the kind of reference. Like it was, I think he had a, or was it a Malamute or something? I can't, Malamute, yeah. yeah. They're about to have a final ride into the distance. Denim Elliott's stunt double, like like, like Marcus has <laughs> this moment where he just goes like, yeah, everyone, follow me. I know the way. Yeah. 
and he runs off, and you know he's not Denim Elliott on that horse, but that stunt no. double nearly falls yeah, the fuck <laughs> off. Like, it's really bad. Like, to the extent that, like, later in the distance, like, the indie stunt double, might have been Harrison Ford for all we know, is helping the person mm. back onto their horse, like, way in the distance. And the movie ends how Connery and Ford begin. Henry says, Junior, and Indy replies, Yes, sir. And they sail off into the distance on horseback. To that banger of a theme. And that is the film. I mean, that is a wild ride of a movie. Like, for two hours, it's just Definitely brilliant. the best of the trilogy in my eyes. It's interesting you say that, actually, because so... Uh, I didn't look on the ratings for the rest of the movies, but so Rotten Tomatoes, um, in terms of Last Crusade, had a critic score of 88% and an audience score of 94. Mm-hmm. Budget for the movie for 1989 was uh, estimated around the $48 million mark. It had an opening weekend of $28,355,021. I'm not going to go through what it beat that weekend because the answer was everything. It was the top movie that month. Make uh, us feel old. What were the other films around at that time? So I'm going to get into (laughs) that in a minute because because that's just the opening weekend because here we get into the overall domestic box office for the movie, which after a $48 million budget, the overall box office for that domestically was $197,171,806. And uh, adjust that for inflation is... $452,078,614. In today's money, that equates to roughly what Multiverse of Madness took in the cinema this year. Weirdly, though, adjusting that for inflation is the lowest grossing of the three. Wow, really? Mind you, coming Mm -hmm. off the back of Temple of Doom could potentially have killed any enthusiasm. Yeah, I think that's partly it, to be honest. But movies that year... So, first of all, it beat, and it was way down the list. Like, this was actually the second grossing movie in 1989. Way down the list of, in uh, rank 44, but I had to bring this up because it was the first movie that we ever did on this podcast was Roadhouse. (laughs) Same year. Fuck me. Same year. All comes around. Two years later, all comes full circle. Doesn't it just... Other movies that it beat that year were When Harry Met Sally, Back to the Future Part 2, Parenthood with Steve Martin, Dead Poets Society, Ghostbusters 2, Look Who's Talking, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Rain Man, Lethal Weapon 2, but number one, the only movie that beat it in 1989 was a certain caped crusader. Tim Burton's Batman was number one that year with a gross of $251,188,924. What a year for movies that was. Mm. See, I don't feel so old when you listed all of those compared to when you list some from the 90s when I'm just like, that wasn't the same year, surely? Yeah. I think we've spoken about this year before, haven't we? Because it's, like, it's got Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Ghostbusters 2. It was, it was... Yeah. Or it would have been when we did Roadhouse. Yeah. Um, but there's also some like real films that have like stood the test of time in that. I mean, like Dead Poet Society was out that year. Yeah. Uncle Buck was another like big favourite that came out that year as well. You know, John Candy and Macaulay <laughs> Culkin are really good in that. Brilliant. So I'm just going to round things off quickly with 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 a uh, quick bit of recommendations. Although I'm relatively certain I know how much this is going to go. Um, 
and I'm just going to go off the bat and just say it's not like I'm not going to beat anything over the head here because I've just spent the better part of two hours raving about it. So I'm just going to say yes, 100%. If you've not watched this, it's available on Amazon Prime at the moment, Sky Movies, fill your boots, go for it. Watch all three. Really worth it. Oh, I second that. Let's just let's just get into it. Yeah. You could, if you've only watched one indie film, as in Indiana Jones film, not an indie film, like th- <laughs> this is the one to watch, I would say. <laughs> Absolutely recommend. Yeah, ignore the student film that came many years after this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Student film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Don't talk about that one. But absolutely, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Short, 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 sweet to the point on this one. I think unequivocally, yes. But that just means that I just need to start wrapping things up. But as I start wrapping up, not only for this episode but for the year as a whole. There is some housekeeping that I would like to address as we progress steadily into 2023. As the time inexorably marches on. Now, listeners, this is some hot off the press shit that I'm about to talk to you about here. See, not even the collective know what I am about to say right now, because I have three things that I need to address here. Number one, the 2004 limitation, done and dusted. Okay. All bets are off. Interesting. Listeners, what this falls down to is that there was a, an unwritten criteria that I came up with when we started this podcast a couple of years ago where we kind of had like a glass ceiling of like movies up to 2004 in the event that there was anything that kind of like lost any nostalgia after that point. But I've been mulling this over for a month or so and I just realized that, well, journals reflect the present as well as the past. So in keeping with that, done. Cool. But there is a price that comes with freedom. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. And that price, as we march into this new season, henceforth should really be known as the season of the lemon. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Because I've decided that all movies that we will be watching over the next year will have a maximum critic score on Rotten Tomatoes of 60%. (laughs) Excellent. That is it. We are going rotten all day. I love you, Gareth. (laughs) (laughs) Now, to start the new year off, in order to close off one of my favourite anthology trilogies of all time, we will be watching the 1997 aviation adventure con <laughs> we are closing off the trilogy of cage <laughs> with the year of cage what we started in january this year with face off <laughs> we will be finishing with conair in january fantastic i can't wait just the scene of of nick cage with his hair billowing <laughs> <laughs> How yeah? How are you? How are you guys? How are you guys feeling about the reveals? I wanted to tease you earlier, but I thought I was just going to hit you with it today. I thought uh, I'm a very happy man. I enjoy talking about mm. loved, beloved films, but also I, I much more enjoy talking about Eleven. I think what's really interesting actually is that even movies, because I can, what I can tease you with is that I've essentially planned out all of my months. Amazing, and some of them are like to a lot of people beloved, but are really low rated i'll be honest i thought the caveat was going to be no michael bay or travis knight transformers movies 
<laughs> so I was quite relieved oh, when you said God. no. It's, oh, it's, ma- it's maximum no. rating. <laughs> I got you covered. I got you covered because you and me have some have some we work do. to do next year. Oh Christ! <laughs> so, I mean, that's it. There, there you have it. That's it for another year. The end of our second year. It's been a, it, it it's been a wild ride. I mean, I, I mean, like guys, I need to. I need to say this quick. I want to say this, and Luke, if you're listening out there, I just want to say thank you. Not only taking the time out for for, for joining for this episode, fun as it always is, but you know, just just for the last two years as a whole, you know, it's it, 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 it's truly great fun to to do this with you guys, honestly. And yeah, you know, look, long we carry on as we keep doing it. Really, thank you, thank you for for coming up with the idea of a podcast and uh, mm. inviting us on. And listeners, thank you whoever you are out there you know whoever's listening you may be few but at the end of the day you enjoy what we put down and that's all that matters if you are enjoying it though you you know if if you have your own collective out there that you think that might enjoy what we're putting out there spread the word spread the word more the merrier we do this for fun give us a review you fucks (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) but also like you know, like any any feedback of any listeners that we do have is always positive, and as long as people enjoy it, that's the main thing. And it's good fun. So see you all soon. Follow online. Merry Christmas to all, and to all. End of line. Keep the change, you filthy animal. <laughs> <laughs>